As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Michael, I had to dust off some older recordings for this episode today. Oh, yeah. What are we talking? Is this episode going to date back years, decades? Uh, just a few months. Nothing that extreme, I guess. Okay. Okay. That's not too bad. Though. No, no. But, you know, we were so deep into our season on workplace confessions that when opportunities came up to interview interesting people that came up, you know, like, I just couldn't turn it down. So... Uh, but we were running the season, so I figured we'd eventually get to release some of these episodes. And so today I figured we'll air an interview that happened a few months back, but, you know, it's the first time we're going to release it here today. So what do we have on tap? Well, one of the hottest business books of the year was a book called Working Backwards, which was actually written by two Amazon executives who've been there from virtually the start. Oh, so that's Bill Carr and Colin Breyer, right? 
That's right. And today we're going to learn more about their time at Amazon and how they launched a process that ended up turning out some of Amazon's most successful innovations, some of which we've actually covered on Rocketship in the past. All right. Well, let's get right to it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective, where your hosts, Michael Saka and Mike Belsito. So this definitely isn't the first time we'll be covering products by Amazon. N- not at all. Not at all. We've covered the product journey of Amazon Echo. I think we covered a product failure that happened at Audible, which is an Amazon company. Those are some pretty good episodes. Definitely worth digging through the rocket ship archives, maybe after you listen to this episode. For sure. But today, we're not really talking about the product. We're talking about the process, right? In a way, yes. Yes. This book, Working Backwards, is written in part to share some of the processes that Amazon used to launch these game-changing products. So to start, here's Bill Carr and how this book even came about in the first place. Now, Bill joined Amazon back in 1999 and, among other roles, was VP of Digital Media, responsible for launching things like Amazon Music, Prime Video, Amazon Studios even. Uh, And you're also going to hear Colin Breyer join in at the end. Colin joined Amazon actually a year before Bill, uh, and he had a number of executive roles, including serving as chief of staff to Jeff Bezos. Here is Bill and Colin now. A few years after I left Amazon, I spent some time with a venture capital firm called Mavron. I was at a conference uh, with their portfolio CEOs, along with a handful of CEOs of large, you know, Fortune 50 size companies. And the, the topic of Amazon came up in this breakout session. And one of the, the, the Fortune 50 CEOs said, Amazon, I don't know how Amazon does it. They, how have they managed to be so successful in such a wide range of businesses, everything from cloud computing to digital devices to e-commerce and um, a marketplace? How do they do it? We're still trying to get our core business right. And I was sitting in the audience and thinking, huh, I know the answer to that question. And if this CEO really wonders what the answer is, I'm sure that many others around the world are also wondering. And I related this conversation to Colin and, you know, I said, you know, based on this, you know, we really ought to write a book to answer this question because we both realized at that time that there was no good answer to the CEO's question out in the marketplace. The the other thing I'll add is that, you know, we had a combined 27 or so years of Amazon experience. and. Most of our time at Amazon, we didn't overlap. You know, we were in different uh, parts of the company. So that provided us a, a good broad coverage of perspective. One of the things that I learned from Bill and Colin is that before the company established distinct processes used to launch new products, which we'll get to, it had already established key leadership principles, which really drove sort of everything at Amazon. Oh, yeah. Okay. So what's an example of some of these principles? Well, the first is customer obsession. I'll actually read it to you verbatim here. Okay, it goes, leaders start with the customer and work backwards. They work vigorously to earn and keep customer trust. Although leaders pay attention to competitors, they obsess over customers. Work backwards. Okay, well, the title of the book to start is making more sense, right? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I think these principles definitely had an influence on the entirety of the book, even the title. (laughs) 
Anyway, you could read all 14 of Amazon's principles online. Uh, literally, you could just Google Amazon principles and they actually come right up. But Colin talks about the importance of these principles here, along with some processes that are just as important. Amazon's 14 leadership principles underpins everything that goes on at the company. It's infused into every major process at the company. It's part of Amazon's DNA. But then there were five processes about, you know, a day-to-day on how Amazon really works uh, that uh, separated Amazon from, made it unique and different from other companies and also allowed Amazon to separate itself from the rest of the pack. And, you know, those five processes sitting, you know, within the leadership principles are how Amazon hires, how they organize into single-threaded, separable teams, how they communicate with team-to-team using narratives, how they develop ideas which, uh, with the working backwards process, which is also the title of the book. And then how Amazon uh, looks at and measures businesses, uh, focusing on controllable inputs rather than kind of rather than the shiny output metrics like revenue and gross profit. Amazon puts an inordinate amount of time of what are the, the controllable inputs that if you do those things right, drive your desired results. And so when you encapsulate all that, that is really um, the answer to how, how does Amazon work? And, and it's what we, we put in the book. So these principles and processes, it's not anything completely new, right? All sorts of companies have similar principles and processes. Well, yes, but there is a big difference between what Amazon has and what, say, I don't know, a company like Inatech has. Inatech, uh, that's, isn't that the software company in office space? <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. And <laughs> okay. if you remember, there's a banner on the wall, right? There's this giant banner which Bill Lumberg <laughs> points to and says, is this good for the customer? I mean, that was a company principle of theirs, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose it was. <laughs> but as Bill Carr says, there's a difference between that and what Amazon had. A lot of companies have values and principles that they've um, described and they've created posters to put them up around the office. But in many, in all too many companies, they really are just posters on the wall. They don't really mean anything for how the company actually makes decisions or thinks and doesn't really trickle down to the whole company. And so the first thing that's remarkable is that Amazon went to great lengths to make them more than posters in the wall, on the wall, to knit them into their formal processes. And um, the one simple example of that is how the company makes hires. So uh, the Amazon uh, has a process called the bar raiser hiring process. And there are a few notable things about it, but one of the most notable is that each interviewer, when, when you go into interview at Amazon and you, you have in probably about six people who will interview you, each one of those people has actually been given a specific assignment ahead of time to, uh, focus on two or three of Amazon's 14 leadership principles. Uh, you know, they divvy them up across the, the, the six interviews, all 14, so that no, no one is asking about the same leadership principle. And, um, uh, so each interviewer is asking questions to make sure that they get good examples from that candidate's prior work history to see how they have led and made decisions and worked, uh, and managed versus, um, and how it relates to Amazon's leadership principles to determine whether this candidate meets or exceeds the bar relative to Amazon's, um, how Amazon 
uh, holds the bar for those leadership principles. And uh, uh, similarly, once people are inside the company and people talk about leadership, talk about management, think about promoting and performance managing people, there is a strong emphasis and reference back to those same 14 leadership principles. And as Colin says, these principles at Amazon, they're more than just a poster on the wall. They actually help people make decisions. One of the things where they become incredibly useful is when you're in a room trying to make a hard decision and you don't have the CEO in, in the room. And that, you know, those are the principles that uh, you want employees in your team or your company to fall back on to make those tough calls because there's a lot of ambiguity. You don't often don't have the right, uh, all, all the data you would like, but you also need to move fast. And I think where Amazon has been able to achieve a remarkable consistency across a wide variety of businesses is it has the same set of 14 leadership principles and the same common decision-making framework that is used across the company. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Okay, before the break, we learned a little about Bill Carr and Colin Breyer. Their book, Working Backwards, outlines Amazon's leadership principles and processes that the company has used to launch some really amazing products over the years. Yeah, and they talked a bit about the philosophy, I guess I'll call it, at Amazon. But how were those principles actually put into practice? Well, let's get into that. Bill told me a story, and it's going to help illustrate things pretty well here. Let's rewind things back a bit if you don't mind. Maybe we can work backwards ourselves a little bit here. <laughs> All right. Okay, I thought that was pretty cool. Anyway, let's go back in time. The end of 2003, Amazon exited that year with uh, a little over $5 billion in revenue, which uh, certainly is uh, a good number for, um, for many companies. And, and the company had grown awfully fast. Uh, a record-setting, you know, growth rate um, that the company had achieved to sort of get there, but there were actually um, there was danger looming on the horizon because 77% of all of that five 5.7 billion in revenue was comprised of physical media, uh, books, CDs, DVDs, VHS tapes, and uh, by that time, by the beginning of 2004. Uh, there were already more than a million iPods in the marketplace. You had, you know, many million, tens of millions of people using Napster to uh, share songs. Uh, you know, it was very clear that that media was going to become increasingly digital over time, and that demand for physical media was going to decline. So this is pretty bad news if seventy-seven percent of your business is physical media. And uh, you know you may uh, <laughs> worry about what's the what's the future state of your company. So what did Amazon do about this? Um, what Jeff didn't do is, um, upon you know realization of this issue, didn't you know run out and acquire a company and create an all hands on deck initiative to say copy the iPod and iTunes 
What he did instead is actually went to my then um, manager, Steve Kessel. Uh, uh, he, you know, he had he he was running the worldwide, you know, physical media business, and I was working for him, and I was running, you know, most of the U.S. physical media business. So we were, you know, in charge of the largest business in the company, and. In, what, uh, in a lot of companies, what would have happened next is that he would have said to, said to us, you need to, you know, uh, bulk up and create your own digital media offering and start, you know, leading a team to go do that, you know, while you're still running that, that large business. But instead, what he said, he said the first part, but then he said, what I want you to do is to leave and stop running the, the largest business in the company and start just focusing on digital media and nothing else. And this was a ra- rather unconventional Approach. So many companies, there were many other companies, by the way, who, you know, were sitting in the same place as us, many other physical retailers, many other uh, media companies, uh, many other companies in the electronics space. Everyone could see what was going on. And as is often the case, what makes Amazon unconventional is that um, they faced challenges that every company faces, but they came up with unconventional solutions to those challenges. So what a uh, few companies do is take the people off of their largest business and tell them, to go uh, incubate and start the, the, a new one. And um, so that's what he did. Wait a minute. Take the best executives that the company has and take them off of the products that are working well. Yes, but to launch brand new products for the company, breathe even more innovation into life. Okay, that's risky, right, though? I mean, yes, if they could do it well, it could pay off big, but... Well, let's let Bill continue here. We went down a, a multi-month path of research and product ideation and trying to come up with, well, what should we go build in this digital media space? You know, should we focus on ebooks? Should we focus on digital music? Should we focus on, you know, digital movies and TV shows, all three at the same time? And, you know, we we came up with with several realizations. You know, one was that uh, while our the way we had created value in the physical uh, media business was by being an aggregator. Its value add to customers was that they'd aggregated this broad, you know, massive selection in one place. Um, but we realized that this was this this way that we were adding value in physical media wasn't going to extend to the digital media place uh, marketplace. Couldn't deliver a digital item faster than one other company. You couldn't offer it a lower price, unlike we, the way we could in physical retail because we didn't have stores. You couldn't offer more selection. There was no way that you could differentiate yourself. The the, the meaningful differentiation was actually going to be on the, the ends of the value chain, not the middle. And by the one end, meaning the content creation side of the value chain, meaning authors, uh, publishers, uh, musicians, filmmakers, the content itself. And then the other end was going to be the devices that people actually use to watch and listen to the digital media um, and the applica- ultimately the applications they would use to, to consume it as well. So we started to figure out, okay, well, how, do we, can we, how can we move out to the ends of the value chain and how can we actually invent something new on behalf of customers? And this was a halting process because... Um, there were, um, you know, we were trying to figure out like, how do we do this new product ideation? How, how should we go about doing this? And we used a lot of the conventional means that, you know, we had been taught in business school, which are based on sort of spreadsheets and market projections and a former PL. Um, and Jeff, Jeff we, we had a lot of meetings with Jeff where we sort of brought these numbers to him and brought these plans. And he would just look at us and say, 
hey, where, you know, where, can you show me the mock-ups for this? Like, I, I can't, I don't understand, like, what's the customer experience you're going to try to build? And so um, we went back to the drawing board and came back to him a few weeks later with mock-ups. But to actually produce high-quality mock-ups for a new, you know, product idea is really hard. Um, it takes a lot of time. You need a great designer. You need to think through all the details. And so um, those meetings didn't go very well because we hadn't thought through all the details and we didn't have great designs. We didn't have answers to all the questions about exactly how this product would work. And so uh, then Jeff decided, let's try something new. Why don't you all, why doesn't everyone just write up a document that describes like, what's the new product you think we should build? And there were about 15 of us in the leadership team at that point for digital media. And so we all went away and did that and came back a week or two later and started reading these documents with different ideas. And there were a range of ideas, everything from, you know, uh, an e-reader book to a digital music service to a device called a puck that could sit on your kitchen counter and you could say to the puck, puck, order more laundry detergent for me. Years of challenges, tough meetings with Jeff Bezos and some ideas. Yeah, a puck in your kitchen counter that could give commands to a digital music service. Some of those are pretty familiar. Aren't they, though? Well, we're going to hear what happened next. First, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Okay, before the break, we started to hear the story of how Bill Carr and Colin Breyer were on a mission, along with others from the Amazon executive team, to start to unearth some breakthrough products. And some breakthrough processes to make these products possible. And so let's go back to Bill and hear the rest of the process that he and the team was going through. Through this process, not only were we ideating on the ideas, but we were ideating on like, how should we do the ideation process, which landed finally, the next step was, because once we were writing these documents, we realized that this was a much lighter way to sort of come up with ideas, test those ideas, um, uh, unlike uh, mock-ups and so, or coming up with a, a prototype of a, of a product. So we moved from this to then what's now called the working backwards process at Amazon. Well, then we started to actually write a press release for the idea in one page or less, and then give a backup of several several pages beyond that that would, that would answer frequently asked questions about the product. And some of those frequently asked questions could be things like, how much does this product cost? How does it work? Where can I get it? But a lot of the questions could be internal questions like, how big of a team will I need to build this? What are some of the technical problems I'll have to resolve? Um, what's the best, lowest bill of materials cost that I can get to on this product? And so we actually then uh, landed on this, this new process, what we call the working backwards PRFAQ process, where the idea is that you, in writing the press release, you focus on what's going to be great for the customer and how can I make this an amazing product for the customer? Because until we had started to, to do this, we were making halting progress. But once we actually came up with this framework for how to think about it, then we actually um, over time, we wrote the press release for what for the first Kindle. And in that press release, we described all kinds of amazing things about the Kindle, like, oh, it's going to work in uh, uh, indoors and in sunlight, unlike a normal screen, because it's going to use e-ink technology. Oh, it's going to uh, be always connected to the internet, whether you use Wi-Fi or you're away from Wi-Fi, because if you remember back in you know, 2004, 2005, ubiquitous connection for uh, devices was, was not a thing. Um, and there were several other breakthrough features about how it would have a store and the ability to download the books and read them all in one device and that there would be 
a massive selection of ebooks as opposed to the paltry selection that was available today. And they would be priced affordably, unlike the high prices of ebooks. So in this one press release, we actually described all kinds of challenges and all kinds of things that didn't exist at this moment. Uh, we didn't know how we would get the, get the um, achieve, you know, many of these goals, but we then described them in the frequently asked questions section. And finally, um, we used that process as the basis to then go and develop the Kindle, which took years uh, to go build a team because you have to remember, we were an e-commerce company. So now we're going to get into the, the device business and we didn't know anything about devices. We would challenge us. We had, you know, some some failures and dead ends along the way, a point where many senior leaders in the company were questioning why we were taking such a big risk on building our own hardware device. In the end, you know, the, the Kindle launched and it sold out, you know, in a matter of days. Um, and we were then scrounging for more parts to make more. And that that device, that Kindle, you know, was the precursor to now what is a string of successful digital media devices, including, you know, the Fire TV um, and the Amazon Echo, uh, all came from that moment where we sort of had to, you know, again, made this pivot from this pivotal moment in 2000, uh, end of 2003, where we were physical media company only. And then now we have, uh, now Amazon has this very large digital media business of both devices and services and applications like Prime Video, Amazon Music, and more. The Amazon Kindle, Amazon Studio, Prime Video, all of these products were a result of the processes that this team came up with. And it's important to note that even though Amazon was using these processes, and yes, Amazon has this big wealth of resources, more than some countries, in fact, these processes that the team came up with, most of them can actually be used by teams of any size. Here's Colin with more on that. A lot of what the, the processes that we talk on the book, you can read about them and then go implement or start experimenting with them the next day. You know, these aren't things where you have to go get six months of training on how to go do and implement at your company. You, know, you can look at, just start things like writing narratives uh, right away or using the working backwards process. It'll take a while to get experience and using them. But um, a lot of the things, you know, Amazon's already done some of this experimentation for you. These processes didn't come fully formed like we describe in the book. There were a couple stumbles along the way. But as Bill mentioned earlier, you can kind of stand on the shoulders of those who've come before you. A lot of these processes are, are quite easy to start, but there, there's some things that can add value immediately to your organization, large or small. A big thanks to Bill Carr and Colin Breyer for sharing their story here. If you want to check out the book, Working Backwards, you can go ahead and get your copy from any major bookseller. Including, you know, Amazon. Yeah, I was waiting for that. So. <laughs> For Mike Belsito, this is Michael Saka. We are Rocketship.fm. So long.